Uh, you know, as I was driving in uh, this t- this morning, I was uh, just kind of moved of just thankfulness for the Lord. You know, I was thinking about how good and faithful God has been to our church um, over the past couple years, and just uh, I just think we have the best church. I really do. I think God has been so kind to us in so many ways. Um, and so if you're here for the first time, know that we're glad you're here with us today. Uh, we hope and pray um, that our church will be a place where you could just learn from the Word and be encouraged in your walk with Jesus. Uh, we make a big deal about the Word of God, so that's what we do. Uh, we love the Word, uh, we study the Word, uh, and we, it shapes our lives. Today we're jumping into Judges chapter 4 and 5, <clears throat> looking at the story of Deborah and Barak. You know, Deborah, she's the only female judge uh, we see in the book of Judges, but everything about this story, it highlights the strength of women women. Uh, And as a husband of a smart and strong woman, and as a dad of two smart and strong girls, along with our third baby girl on the way that is coming incredibly soon, uh, you know, I, I love this story. You know, it brings out so much of what I pray for, for my daughters and my wife and the women in our church. You know, there's a lot of great things about our church, but what I know to be true about New City Church, that it is filled with many strong and godly women uh, that have stepped up to lead, making an incredible impact on our church. You know, in fact, about two-thirds of our church that help, two-thirds of our launch team, the people that moved down here to help start our church, were women. You know, our first two long-term missionaries that we sent out this past year are women. Uh, Most of our serve teams have more women than men. And this is just generally true uh, that within the church globally, there are typically more women than men, uh, which in many ways is a call for the men to step up and lead uh, and also emphasize the need to reach more men with the gospel. You know, while at the same time, it also emphasizes the need to equip and raise up uh, to women to lead within the church and to also celebrate all the ways God uses the giftings of women. You know, there's no denying that God uses women in incredible ways to lead God's kingdom, or to build God's kingdom, and to lead within the church, which leads us pretty quickly to our main idea for today. And it's that God delights in using women to lead God's people. This is what we'll see today in Judges 4 and 5. And again, I love this because we are praying for a bunch more modern-day Deborahs to be raised up out of New City. Um, We pray for this for girls of all ages. All throughout the Bible, we see women leading and doing incredible things for the Lord. We see this through through stories like Ruth and Esther and Miriam, specifically in the Old Testament. Uh, We also see in the New New Testament, uh, Jesus, his first witnesses after his resurrection, they were women. Uh, In John chapter 4, We see the Samaritan woman believe in God. And then by the end of John chapter four, God used her to start a revival back in her city. And then you also see women like Mary and Priscilla and Lydia and several others leading in great ways in the New Testament. And I say all of this as a means to celebrate the giftings that God gives women, uh, yet while at the same time, I do want to address something that we see within the church at large around this idea of women in leadership. Uh, it, it has become a bit of a debated topic within, uh, with views in all extremes and in many ways, um, I think it's been handled pretty poorly by many. And so yes, we as a church, we affirm and we hold as an official position put in our statement of faith that the office of pastor and elder within the church is to be held for qualified men. And we, be- we believe the Bible is very clear on this. We don't try to dodge around this or ignore this. Uh, and there are several reasons as to why we hold this position. Uh, but the most convincing, at least to me, is that there's not a single example in the New Testament of a woman that holds the office of pastor or elder. And also every passage that lists the qualifications for pastor or elder, it is directed, direct, it's directed towards men. 
And there's so many more things we could say here, and I know this is a debated topic within the church at large with all sorts of nuances, but again, this is the official stance of New City Church. Uh, The office of pastor and elder is for qualified men. But unfortunately what happens is that some hear this and mistakenly go to the extremes and think, well, women shouldn't lead at all in the church, which is just totally wrong. And we'll see that today with Deborah. Or the other extreme on the other side is to maybe think, well, this view is, is, is seen as sexist or chauvinistic or antiquated. And that's also not true or even really fair. Because at the end of the day, the Bible must drive this conversation. You know, I think a little discussion and debate uh, is okay around some of the minor nuances of this, as long as we're being faithful to the Bible. But I say this with the conviction that everything we do and hold to here at New City is driven by the Word of God. Like, we don't come up with what we want or what others uh, tell us we're supposed to think. No, we simply just want to be as faithful to the Bible as we best know how. And as soon as we get away from the Bible, we've just totally missed it. And with that, I'll also say this. You know, a lot of godly men and women have landed differently on some of these things that have sought to be faithful to the Bible, which leads me to also say, as soon as we forget that the Bible calls us to speak with grace and gentleness and patience as we speak to one another and interact with one another in these discussions, if we forget it, if we forget those things, we've also missed it. Yes, it's good and right to hold a view with strong conviction, but it's not okay to be rude or mean with those who disagree with us. Because again, there's several nuances to some of this and there's books and books and articles and blogs galore written on all of this stuff. And we have to understand that some of the outworkings of these nuances from a biblical standpoint can be a bit fuzzy. It, it just, they just are. And so as a general rule, in Bible interpretation, we must let what is absolutely clear speak and lead in areas that seem a bit fuzzy which is what we're going to try to do today. And I bring all of this up because as we get into Judges chapter 4 and 5 today, we will see the beauty of God calling women to lead. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, the whim, the roles of men and women in several ways, yes, they are different, but what is absolutely clear from the Bible is that men and women are equal and both are called to lead God's people in various different ways. You know, sometimes, yes, these roles look different, but again, what is absolutely clear from God is that what God calls men and women to do, although different, they're equal in the eyes of God. Today, we want to plead with our women here at New City to step up and lead and to lead courageously within the church. Again, that is so abundantly clear in the Bible, and you should not shy away from that. And so that said, let's start working through this text. We're going to cover two chapters today. Uh, And just as an informative note about these two chapters, uh, chapter four is more of a historical side of Judges, of what kind of happened. It's more of the story, more like the stories we see throughout Judges. And then chapter five is a song. And so it's almost retelling what happens back in chapter four uh, from more of a poetic and a theological standpoint. And it fills in a lot of details for us. You know, I personally found chapter five very moving as I kind of read through it, highlighting just the strengths of Deborah's leadership. And so I'm going to read and tell some of chapter four. And so I mean, it's going to take eight or 10 minutes, just kind of tell the story so we can wrap our heads around the story and then highlight parts of chapter five. And then we're going to come out with four takeaways on leadership on the back half of our time. And so now let's, uh, it's story time. All right, let's, let's go into chapter four, verse one. This is what it says. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ahu died. Again, no surprise here. This is kind of like a broken record throughout Judges. Uh, You know, our unlikely uh, left-handed judge, Ahud, like we saw last week, he was great, but he did not last. No, it says he died. 
Uh, and then as the story continues, we see two bad, two bad guys kind of introduced, Jabin the king and his commander, Sisera. It says in verse two that the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin when his people rebel. And, and then look at verse three. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So God uh, opposes, uh, God's people were being oppressed, as it says, by King Jabin for a long 20 years. And it says they had 900 chariots of iron, which means God's people uh, were fighting against them. Uh, Like they realistically didn't have a fighting chance. So going to war against this, against them for the people of of God's people, it would have seemed like a death sentence. Maybe um, maybe think of it like bringing tanks to a gunfight. Like it's not exactly a fair fight. And so if you remember when we saw back in chapter one a couple weeks ago, we saw Judah, uh, when, we saw, he saw the, when he saw chariots of iron, um, he was like, nope, I'm not doing that. And he kind of gave up, turned around and went the other way. Uh, and so uh, they, he let him stay in the land. And so what I want to emphasize, and I want to emphasize this because it shows that Deborah and the rest of Israel, it shows their extreme courage to go into battle. And look what it says in verses four and five. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So there are a few things I want to point out here that are significant about Deborah and her leadership. First, it says she was a prophetess in verse 1. It says she was a judge in verse 2, and that people were coming up to her for judgment. So she was a female prophet leading in the role of a judge. And this is significant because it shows as a biblical example her God-given role as a prophet and a judge. And I want to bring this out because there were three primary types of leadership we see in the Old Testament. There was prophet, there was priest, and there was king. And, and here is judge. Judge is kind of the, the, kind of the fill-in for king. She held both prophet and judge as a woman. But priest, like elder, pastor and elder in the New Testament, a priest was held specifically for men. And I bring this out because, again, it highlights our main idea that God loves to use women to lead his people while also showing a few small differences. And we see this same idea highlighted in verse 4, saying that she was the wife of Lapidoth, which is interesting. They kind of bring that out because not a single other judge in the book mentions that they were the husband, uh, who they were the husband of. And I draw this out because it shows how Deborah was able to lead courageously and with strength and honor in a public context while also showing honor to her husband's leadership in her marriage, which leads me to say husbands. Notice that Lapidoth didn't squash her wife's gifts. No, he encouraged her leadership. She was a ruler and a prophet, and God used her in mighty ways. He platformed her leadership. And then as the story continues, we see Deborah showing much courage, call out a military leader named Barak to kind of gather 10,000 people to fight against these people. And I love how Deborah speaks clearly and directly to, to Barak, speaking courage into his life. So, I mean, he, he kind of goes on to say, has God not called you to this? Has God not called you to step up and lead this army? Has God not said, I will draw out King Jabin's commander, Sisera, having, uh, having him meet you at the river with his chariots and troops? And will God not give him into his hands? Did God not say this? And Brock's like, well, if you go, I'll go. And look what Deborah said back down in verse nine. And she said, I will surely go with you. 
Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And so Deborah says, yes, I'll go, but God will not give the king to you, Barak, but rather the, uh, God will give uh, the king to a woman. And so they went with 10,000 men to go and fight. And I want you to remember this. Right, the, the, the Deborah reminded Barak in verse seven that God would bring them to the river Kishon. That's an important detail, that God wants to send them to the river. Because in verse 11, we see a seemingly kind of random detail about a guy who goes and puts up a tent, which again, it seems pretty random now, but this is gonna be important later. And then uh, we see down in verse 12, uh, the details about where they go. It says they go to Mount Tabor. And, and if you look at a map, it's kind of the area near the river. And then Sisera, this evil commander, he calls out his men and chariots of iron, uh, just as God said would happen, and what does Deborah do? Well, she's like, well, it's go time. She's thinking, okay, let's get ready to rumble. That's kind of her thought here, because look at verse 14. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And I know, uh, and I know we don't see this here in chapter 4, but we see, again, we, the, we see these details, we see a lot of details filled in from chapter 5, uh, seeing that in God's timing, a rainstorm came. And what commentators say about this is that it likely flooded the river in a time and season that was just really abnormal. It would almost be like having like a, a snowstorm this weekend here in the state of Florida. Like pretty, pretty obscure. And they say that because uh, these trained military soldiers would not have taken their horses down by the river in a, in a rainy season. No, they would have known better than that. But what did God do? Well, he showed off. He brought the rain down and he flooded the river and the horses, uh, like they, they likely got stuck. In chapter five, verse 21, it says the torrent Kishon, which is that river, it says it swept them away. And look back at chapter four in the middle of verse 15. It says, and Sisera got down from the chariots and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Hegeim and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So in chapter five, as you kind of read through it, you see this is a total work of God to bring about miraculous intervention. It says in chapter five, verse 20, that from heaven, the stars fall. Kind of just showing, God's showing off here. While also showing in chapter five, the courage of God's people to fight in the battle. And so what happened? Well, God's people, through Deborah's courageous leadership, defeated this seemingly unbeatable army. But yet the story's not over because as the story continues, we see that Sisera, this, this commander, we know from the end of chapter five, there's a couple details we see at the end of chapter five that he was known for enslaving women. Like he was using uh, and abusing them. He's just an evil dude. And all of this just builds up the irony of the story, highlighting the strength of women. Because as the story continues, we see that uh, he's on the run, he's lost his horse and he's trying to get away. Uh, and remember that random guy, I told you, hey, let's remember this. He put up his tent back in verse 11. Well, that random detail. Well, here he is, and his name is Heber, who says, is at peace with the king, but apparently not too much peace with this commander because look what it says about Heber's wife, Jael. Look at verse 18. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. 
These details here, they're kind of highlighting uh, the wisdom and discernment with this general. I mean, she sees this as her opportunity to kind of get back at this guy. And so she invites him in, gets him comfortable. He asks for water. She gives him milk, kind of showing extreme hospitality, kind of showing off um, like her hospitality towards him. And then he tells her, hey, if anyone asks for me, tell them I'm not here while I rest, thinking that he's in a safe space. And then look what she does as he's tired and weary. Look at verse 21. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. That's what it says. I think that's pretty clear, right? So Jael, he was a tent maker. Uh, And let's just say she knew what she was doing with that tent peg. Uh, She drove that peg right through his head and he died. So God used a woman here to bring justice to men uh, and man and to a people that enslaved women. So after uh, he died, we see Barak, as the story kind of continues, we see comes and finds them and Jael says, I've got the man you're looking for. And they see him dead lying on the floor, fulfilling exactly what Deborah said would happen, that he would die by the hand of a woman. And then it says in verse 23, uh, as the story ends in verse uh, chapter four, uh, they also got the king, King Jabin. So that's the story, right? That's the story of Deborah and Barak and Jael, uh, Sisera, the commander, and King Jabin. God used Deborah and Barak and God's people uh, to defeat this ruthless king uh, and his evil commander, Sisera. And so, and so now, for the rest of our time, we're going to use our text, including chapter 5, this song. We're not going to kind of read through the song, uh, but we're going to use parts of the song to draw out several leadership principles uh, that we, uh, we, kinda, we, we see specifically from Deborah. You know, last week we talked about how God raises up leaders to fulfill his purposes, and we see the same thing again today with Deborah. Uh, Maybe we could say this week is a bit of an extension from last week's leadership talk, Um, but the first thing I want to point out is that, number one, Deborah led by using God's word. We know that Deborah, she was a prophetess, a, a female prophet and a judge, meaning she spoke on the Lord's behalf. She was a mouthpiece for the Lord. That's what prophets do. And so she exhorted Barak with God's word. And if you remember, she summoned Barak in chapter four, verse six, and said, has not the Lord commanded you? And then she went on to say all that God said, and then it all came about. And notice what she didn't say. She didn't say, this is what I think you should do, or this is what I want you to do, but rather she simply said, this is what God has commanded you. And she spoke it to Barak, her brother in the Lord, which, let me point out, was a man. You know, I mentioned earlier that there's all sorts of nuances to women in leadership and gray areas and all sorts of debate around this. And I want to wade into some of the complexities around this just a bit because we see texts like 1 Timothy 2.12 that are very directly says for women to not teach or exercise authority over men. And let's just be honest about this, right? This is not a popular verse. This is a hard text to wrestle with. Uh, But as I say that, this needs to be held in tension with stories like Deborah in Judges 4 and 5, where you see her doing that exact thing. And then also in the New Testament, in Acts 18, where we see Priscilla with her husband Aquila teaching and instructing and correcting Apollos so that he could teach more accurately. 
And then also literally Judges 5, like Judges chapter 5, it is written by a woman that instructs both men and women. And so this is where the waters kind of get muddied uh, and where you, like grace and patience must be shown. Like this isn't as crystal clear as maybe we'd like to think that it is. Because again, we see women teaching and using God's word to encourage and exhort men and women all throughout the Bible. And so here at New City, where we have drawn the line here in trying to be faithful to the Bible while also kind of living in the tension of the Bible is that again, the office of pastor and elder is for qualified men. And teaching and preaching on a Sunday morning, preaching out of the pulpit like I'm doing here, we see is teaching the assembled church in an authoritative way, which is what seems to be the context for 1 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. But as I say all of that, what we see as clear here in our text is Deborah, a prophetess, a, a, a female prophet, speaking God's word to Barak, her brother in the Lord, to exhort him to live out God's calling on his life. And what I am totally confident of and convinced of is that God has given both our brothers in Christ and our sisters in Christ his word in the Bible to encourage both our brothers and sisters in Christ around us. And my wife Kelly, she does this for me all the time. She uses God's word to encourage me. She speaks it over me. She shows me what she's learning. She uses it to build me up and to call me to live out God's command on my life. And this is a gift to me. And the point I'm trying to make here is that, church, one of the greatest weapons God has given us is to use, uh, to use against the schemes of the enemy is the word of God. So we must use it and proclaim it and exhort others with it. And my hope and prayer is that we would raise up just a bunch of modern-day Deborahs that speak God's word into the lives of those around them in order to push back darkness and discouragement and apathy and also the lies the enemy whispers to us every single day. Church, the the word of God is a gift and it is a sword and a weapon for us. And so may we use it and proclaim it and build up the church with it. I mean, I'm not kidding. One of the things that attracted me me to my wife when we were first dating was that she knew her Bible. She loved her Bible. In fact, she was hesitant to date me because I did not know my Bible. I loved it, yes, but I certainly did not know it uh, like she knew it. And so do you know what drove me to love the word and to study the word and to grow in my understanding of the Bible? It was her zeal and passion and love for the word. Like she was a modern day Deborah for me in my life. She exhorted me with the word and she still does. And when I think about my daughters and the women in our church and men, you too. Like I can't help but think of how much I want all of us to know the word and to love the word and to let it drive our lives in a way that builds up and exhorts our brothers and sisters around them. In fact, we have a bunch of copies of a book called Women of the Word right outside that my wife, she got for our church just to give away to all those that want them. Again, church, may we love the word and use it to exhort and encourage and breathe life into those around us. That's leadership. Again, lead others through the word of God. And also we see that number two, Deborah was a courage builder. And you know, I love this. Specifically in thinking about these 900 chariots of iron that they were up against. You know, as we think about the contrast of Judah in chapter one, where we kind of saw who also had to go against chariots of iron, but he kind of turned away. Um, He didn't go and try to fight them. He didn't even try to fight them. But here we see Deborah go to, to, go to Barak and breathe courage into his heart and soul. He, she reminded him of God's call on his life. 
And they could have done just as Judah did and settle for apathy and not fight against the unbeatable army and just stay enslaved. But no, she put her foot down, so to speak, and called out to Barak to be courageous, to step up and lead the army and do what God told them to do. So God used Deborah to build courage. She, God used Deborah to encourage Barak to do what God told him to do. And church, we cannot underestimate the power of encouragement. I know for me, uh, I I can so easily find myself so easily discouraged. Just to look at the the opposing army, so to speak, that seems uh, unbeatable and find myself dwelling in maybe just apathy or fear or worry. I mean, I think this happens to all of us at some level. I mean, there's an old pastor saying that says, if the enemy can't disqualify us, his next tactic will be to discourage us. I mean, discouragement in life and in ministry, just walking with Jesus and battling sin in our life, discouragement and apathy and fear, they are all so very real. And I can't help but think of the discouragement or fear or apathy that Israel had to have experienced in being enslaved and oppressed cruelly for 20 years, it says. I mean, I don't know about for you, but when I read that, I don't think, well, that seems all good and rosy, right? No, like life seems pretty miserable to them. I mean, I think they were just a bit discouraged. And so here is Deborah breathing courage into the life of Barak to live by faith and to lead God's people into battle. And how did she encourage Barak? Well, she reminded him of God's word and God's call and God's promise saying, didn't God say he would do this? But let's also ask, how else did she encourage Barak to go into battle? Well, he said, I'll go if you go. And what did she say? I'll go with you. I'm all in. And New City, like, do you realize how much courage it can breathe into someone's life when they say, I'll go with you? Like, I'm in this with you. I'm all in. I know I remember back in um, early 2020 when the life of our church just felt like it was on the line. Starting a church in January of 2020 seemed like a death sentence with all that followed it. And I'll never forget how much courage was breathed into my own sails by the amount of people on our launch team that told me, I'm in this. Like, we're by your side. I mean, brothers in Christ telling me, we came here to plant a church. By golly, we're going to plant a church. Sisters in Christ, modern day Deborah is telling me and my wife, if it's just our families and yours, we're here to plant a church. That's what God, that's what what we're going to do. A new city, the gift that it is to remind people of God's call and to be able to say, I'm by your side. It provides a remarkable gift of courage. That's what Deborah did. And what did it do? It led God's people to go into war against an army that seemed like a death sentence. It led them to believe in the impossible. It breathed courage into their sails, and God did the unthinkable, and God went to battle for them. You know, last week we made it clear uh, that if Christ is in you, he's called you to lead. He's calling us to walk closely with God, to lead out of God's delight. And if you're wondering how to lead, lead like Deborah and breathe courage into the lives of those around you. I mean, may the Spirit of God just so fill your heart and soul so much that you believe more in others than they believe in themselves. I mean, just imagine a church that is just filled with people, like just uh, that week after week breathe courage into one of those lives that lead each other to make disciples and to share their faith and to take risks for the Lord. And do you know how and where this happens week after week in a very intentional way in in our church? This happens in city groups every week. That's what we do. We breathe courage and life directly into one another's lives. 
Like over the past six months, like this is what I have been praying for for our church, that we would be courage builders, that we would believe more for others and what God can do through them than maybe they believe in themselves. So Deborah, she led with the word of God and she led through encouragement. But then also, number three, we see Deborah knew and utilized her people. Again, I love this. And let's remember Deborah, she was a prophet. She was a a prophet sitting as a judge over Israel, meaning people would come to her for judicial decisions. They sought her wisdom, which means she she likely knew a lot of people. She knew what was going on uh, around her. And so this past week, as I was reading through chapter five, I was specifically struck of how aware she was, aware she was of all that was going on around her and all the people that she mentioned. She acknowledged in the song of chapter five, the people's willingness to sacrifice. In chapter five, verse seven, it says, she arose as a mother in Israel, meaning she knew her people. She cared for her people. She knew all that they didn't have. It says her heart went out to the commanders of Israel and the sacrifices they made, and she had compassion towards them. They weren't just a number. No, they, they had a name, and they, they had a story, and a family, and friends, and they had people that they loved. And we look back at chapter four, you know, we only see the names of the key leaders. But in chapter five, we see Deborah's heart for the people, for, her, for the people put on display. Again, I was just struck by all the people she noticed and showed value and cared towards. I mean, she noticed the musicians. She knew the rich and the poor. She knew the noble. She knew all the different tribes who came to war. She knew who didn't come to war. She saw gifts and abilities in them and encouraged them to use their gifts. And I also can't help but think of how they got 10,000 people to go and fight against King Jabin, trying to fight against those 900 chariots of iron. You know, it's, it's, again, something that just seemed like a death sentence. Those types of things don't just happen to move uh, that many people to do something that crazy. That takes a total move of God. You know how God often works and moves? It's through the day in and day out of just loving people and knowing people, caring for people, building trust with people. She was helping them with their everyday life as she was sitting as judge. And then when it became time to go to war and follow God's lead, the people responded. I mean, that type of response, it doesn't come from an absent leader. No, that type of response doing something that crazy comes from daily listening and just daily loving and caring for people week after week and day after day and year after year. And in New City, these are the types of leaders we want to see raised up within our church. Just seeing people, seeing leaders that know and love our people and see the gifts of our people and call them to use and develop those gifts. That's what we look for in our group leaders and our elders and those who are leading serve teams. We say uh, authentic relationships is one of our core values. We say that for a specific reason. We believe it is highly important to know our people and for you to be known. And we believe everyone has gifts to be used for God's kingdom. Everyone does. And so we want to steward those well. We see that as our God-given responsibility. And again, the easiest way for us to know you and to see your gifts and leverage them is just through groups and serving. If you want to be a leader, make an effort to know the people around you. Just to meet someone you've, you've never met before. To go out of your way, to listen and be intentional with those you meet. If you want to be a leader, notice the strengths and gifts in people and encourage them to use it for God's glory. You know, the best leaders are not me-focused. They're others-focused. They're we-focused. Again, God has called all of us to lead, and the best leaders are not focused on what they can do, but on what others can do. And so just ask, who are you building up and encouraging? 
Who are you seeking to get to know? I mean, are you getting to know everyone around you, those in your city groups and serve teams? How can we affirm or call out gifts and talents in other people? And I say that, you know, pointing out all those uh, that use their abilities and gifts in this battle, you know, kind of as we get into our last point, I couldn't help but notice how Deborah so vividly called out those that did not use their gifts. Pretty struck, it's pretty striking. In chapter 5, verse 16, she called out the clan of Reuben for just staying with the sheep. Nothing bad, but they just didn't go into war. She said, why did you sit still among the sheepfold? Why didn't you engage in the battle? She did this several times, calling out passivity to engage in the mission, saying, Gilead, why did you stay back? Dan, why did you just stay with the ships? Asher, why did you stay still? Zebulon, they risked their life to the death, but Reuben, Gilead, Dan, and Asher, you didn't necessarily do anything bad. Staying with sheep, it's not bad. Staying with the ships, staying home, not necessarily bad things, but yet that's not what God called them to do. No, God called them to engage in the mission, and they didn't. They were passive They stayed uninvolved and they sat on the sidelines. Which leads us to say, number four, leaders reject passivity and engage in the mission. And what I know to be true is that you can't be a leader in the mission of God if you're sitting on the sidelines in the mission of God. So every person is called to engage in the mission. We say here, every member is a missionary. Every person jumps into the game. Y'all, church, it's not a spectator sport where you come in and get a little Jesus and leave. No, church is a community project where we love and serve one another and share life with one another and disciple one another. Church is an all-hands-on-deck community project. Everyone's involved. Like this, it's an everyone-involved deal. This is not a man or woman thing. No, this is an everyone thing. But I do want to point out In Judges chapter five, Deborah is calling out the princes specifically. Like she's calling out specifically the men to reject passivity and to lead. From the beginning of time, starting in the garden, passivity has been the Achilles heel for men. And as far as I'm concerned, the men we're trying to raise here at New City Church will be men that reject passivity, lead courageously, and know how to accept responsibility. We want to raise strong men in the Lord to lead our strong women, to lead with and alongside our modern day Debras. Like there's no question the church at large, not just our church, but the global church needs more men to step up and lead. Yes, the story of Deborah highlights women leading, but we also can't miss Deborah is calling out the men to step it up. You know know what, like a crazy statistic about men just leading in the home. Get this, This this is what studies show. When a mother comes to Jesus, there's a 17% probability everyone else will. This is just studies. But when the father surrenders his life to the Lord, there's a 93% probability that the rest of the family will follow Jesus. Like there's no question we need men to step up and lead both in the church and in the home. And also just we need to reach more men. You know, there's so many things we could say here about leadership and how God uses leaders for his purposes. But to be very direct, if we stop this sermon right now, this would be nothing more than a glorified leadership talk. I mean, the tendency in teaching and preaching stories like this is to see a great leader like Deborah or King David or any other leader we see in the Bible and end the sermon with the application of, well, let's all go be like Deborah. And to that, we have to say, no, that is totally missing it. 
Let's just ask, why would we say be like Deborah when we have someone so much better than Deborah? Yes, we can celebrate how Deborah led, but at the end of the day, we don't follow Deborah's lead. No, we follow Jesus' lead. The only reason we can point these things uh, out in Deborah is because Jesus affirmed them all in himself. And so what did Jesus come to do? Well, Jesus came to be an unlikely leader, to be an unlikely savior that lived a sinless life died on the cross, and to save us from our sins. If you have never given your life to Jesus, I pray that right now, today, you would do that. Hand your life over to him. Yes, Israel needed to be saved from the oppression of King Jabin, but us, we need to be saved from the oppression of our sin. Our sin, it keeps us enslaved to the world and enslaved to the enemy, and there's no question, we need a savior. Maybe we could say it like this, we don't need a great role model, no, we need a great savior. And Jesus, he is our savior. And he's far better than Deborah. Yes, Deborah, she led with the word of God, but Jesus, he was the very word himself. Jesus didn't come to just speak the word, but he came to be and to model the word. Yes, God's word gives life, and Deborah used that in her leadership, but Jesus, he is the word. He is the life. Deborah, yes, she built courage in the people around her. She sought to build them up and to go with them, but New City, the gospel tells us that the spirit of God does exactly that for us at all times. And yes, God's people, God uses people to encourage us and to build us up with the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God through them to do that. You know, we can't just muster up ourselves to be more encouraging and to be more courageous. No, we need the Spirit of God to do that in us. We are totally dependent on the Lord. We are totally dependent on the hand and power of God to breathe life and courage into us, to move in us. You see, the path to becoming a courage builder is to regularly go to Jesus, is to regularly go to the author of courage himself and just slow down and pray and rest in the promises of God knowing that he is always with us and that he stands beside us. And we see that God does that in us. You know, we can turn around and do that right back to others. And then also, yes, Deborah, she knew her people. She cared for her people. She utilized the strengths of her people But how much better is this in Jesus? Yes, chapter four, it highlights the strength of Deborah, but what I love about what Deborah did in chapter five is she didn't highlight her strength. No, in chapter five, she made it all about God. She highlighted the Lord's strength. Everything in chapter five, it points to all that God did and not Deborah. Totally reflected everything back to God. Deborah is not the hero in Judges four and five. No, Jesus is the hero. God is the hero. Again, Jesus is the far better Deborah. Jesus didn't just know about people, but knows the very depths. She, she, God, Jesus knows the very depths of our heart and soul. He cared enough, he cares enough for us to go to the cross and die so that we can live and have life. And Jesus, he doesn't just know our strengths, but he created them. He made them for his purposes, to put them inside of us by his spirit for our church to be blessed. New City, Jesus, he is the one we praise. He's the one we exalt. Yes, judges like Deborah, they show wisdom and good judgment and zeal, and we can celebrate, from, celebrate them, and we can learn from them. But Jesus, he's the one we worship. Jesus, he's the one uh, that we run to, not just for leadership principles, but for our very life. He's the one that gets us up in the morning. He's the one that restores our soul. Jesus, he's the one that looks at us and says, I see what you will become. I'm proud of you. You're a leader. Walk in it. 
Listen, I, I don't know where you are today, but I know this. We have a God that doesn't just call us to lead and then leave us to figure it out. No, we have a God that cares for us. We have a God that is with us and wants every bit of us. He doesn't just call us to lead, but he also empowers us to lead by the power of the Spirit. And ladies, and men, you too. Like, I have no doubt in my mind, just as we saw last week, that God, he wants to use you to lead God's people to see the beauty of Jesus. And how does this happen? It happens when we lead with the word of God and lead by building courage in others. It happens when we know our people. It happens when we reject passivity. And most of all, when we lead through the power of Jesus and not ourselves. Church, would you just rest in that today? That we have a good God that we can rest and come to. And, that he, want, and he wants to delight in using us. I pray that you would rest in that. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. God, you're so faithful to us. God, I'm so thankful that the power of God moves inside of us. It calls us to lead courageously and to reject passivity and to build up others. But God, we're totally dependent on you to do that in us. God, if there's anyone here today that has not given their life to Jesus, if they're not sure of what that looks like, I just pray that you would give them the courage to come and find us and talk to us about it. Maybe talk with the person they came with. God, you are a saving God. You love to save your people. Wouldn't you do that today? I pray that you would. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.